Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. How are you, Katie? I'm great. How about you, Keith? I'm caffeinated, so I'm great. Okay. Um, Let's let's let's, get this day started. Let's get on with it. (laughs) As always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how Steve Lacey's Bad Habit holds firm at number one on the Hot 100, while Sam Smith and Kim Petras' Unholy creeps up a spot to number two in its second week, and how Zach Bryan's Something in the Orange and Beyonce's Cuff It post big gains on the chart, and how Bad Bunny's Un Verano Sinti spends a 13th week at number one on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, tying for the most weeks atop the list in the last 10 years. Plus, this weekend I got to see one of my very favorite artists live and in person, Justin Timberlake, and I've told Keith nothing. So you get to hear me regale him with stories from his one-night-only performance at the Children's Hospital Los Angeles Gala. And we've got an interview with Charlie Puth. The singer-songwriter stops by to chat about his new album, Charlie. And if you've been following Puth on social media the past few years, you've undoubtedly seen many clips of him sharing how he makes music. And now, the fruits of those labors are here in the form of his third album. How the album come to be, and who exactly is behind all those expert social media posts? Well, we'll find out in just a moment. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Okay, let's do the chart chat. First up, Bad Bunny's Unirano Senti clocks a 13th non-consecutive week atop the Billboard 200 albums chart, tying Drake's views and the Frozen soundtrack for the most weeks at number one on the chart in the last 10 years. Both Views and Frozen logged 13 non-consecutive weeks atop the chart. Uh, Views did it in 2016, and Frozen chilled atop the chart back in 2014. This is elite company right here. Uh, It is. It is. Um, The last album with more weeks at number one than any of those three was Adele's 21 with 24 non-consecutive weeks at number one in 2011 and 2012. Just 11 more weeks at number one to reach Adele. You know, it's <laughs> it's doable. Do we think that he'll get a 14th week at number one, Keith? Um, 
Well, let's think about it. Last Friday, Stray Kids put out a new album called Maxident. They have, they have fun little portmanteaus that they that they name their albums. Ordinary. Yes. Maxident. <laughs> well, considering that Ordinary debuted at number one earlier this year with, as we always talk about, lots of collectible CD packages and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, they're doing the same thing with Maxident. So I would assume they have a decent shot at debuting at number one? Yes. Then this Friday, we have a new Red Hot Chili Peppers album, Return of the Dream Canteen. They put out an album earlier this year that also debuted at number one on the Billboard 200. And then I think there's something maybe coming from Taylor Allison Swift. Midnight's comes out the week <laughs> after that, October 21st. So in theory, we could see a series of debuts at number one three weeks in a row based upon how those three acts have performed in the past. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not, and, uh, I'm not knows, forecasting, just who saying. Who knows? Bad Bunny might come back after that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Bad Bunny could still be in the top 10 or number one next year. <laughs> uh, next up on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart, Steve Lacey's Bad Habit holds atop the chart for a second week, while Sam Smith and Kim Petras's Unholy rises from number three to number two in its second week on the chart. Now, Unholy was already Kim's first chart hit, but for Smith... It now ties their highest charting song, which was 2014's Stay With Me. Notably, as Hot 100 chart manager Gary Trust points out in his story this week online, Unholy is the first song to debut in the Hot 100's top three and then rise in rank in its second week and gain in overall chart points in nearly a decade. Since Eminem's The Monster, featuring Rihanna, also pushed three to two in its second week on the chart, which was November 23rd, 2013, eventually on its way to a four-week run at number one. Ooh, I hope Unholy gets to number one. That'd be great. I also didn't mention this last week and should have, but I just want to pat myself on the back real quick because in the five burning questions about Harry Styles as it was, I said, I think he's going to be the first artist to have 15 weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and then stop and that Steve Lacey will come in at number one to replace him and so I'm feeling like I make a lot of dumb predictions ones that have been very wrong in the past and so I'm feeling very good about this this choice so far again who knows if as it was we'll pop back to number one at some point but I feel like 15 weeks seems like where it's stopping, so kinda, we'll see. I'm kind of surprised that they aren't trying to do a little Nas X, let's throw out a bunch of remixes just to like keep the thing at number one forever. I think maybe as we Perry's saw, just like, nah, I don't yeah, do I was going to say, I think as we saw with them putting out a, a, um, a push for late night talking to, to go right. up, they were ready for something new to come in. I think they were ready to to usher as it was to the retirement home <laughs> and let something new come in so people didn't get sick of it. Mm. I get that impression. I don't think anyone's sick of it. No one. I, I'm not sick of it. All right. Lastly, staying with the Hot 100, outside the top 10, Beyonce's Cuff It returns to the top 40, growing 54 to 36 after a third straight week of gains in airplay, sales, and streams. The song debuted and peaked at number 13 earlier this year off of strong initial streaming activity concurrent with uh, the Renaissance album's release week. Meanwhile, Zach Bryan's Something in the Orange jumps 23 to 16 with gains across the board in airplay sales and streams. On the all-genre streaming songs chart, 
The track bumps seven to three. This song has a lot of power. The, yeah, the, the country folk rock track has been percolating for months now. Months. <laughs> gathering fans, but it was never officially promoted to get this country radio until just last what? week. What? What? Meanwhile, my man's out here playing like arenas and stuff. Like, what? Where did he come from? Um, I think. Uh, well, I shouldn't say arenas. He's playing larger theaters. He's he's <laughs> he's been around for a minute, but he really hasn't made a significant impression until this year. Yeah, and I think part of that was owed to his music being featured in. I think it was Yellowstone, oh, the Kevin Costner show. This all makes sense. Um, which is hugely popular, and especially among a country fan like audience. So why is this just now hitting country radio? So now it's gonna have a whole new life. Yeah, this song actually has a gain on the country airplay chart. Wow, which is it's it's kind of wild that like the song like why didn't they take it to country radio sooner? Everything's been untraditional, I think, though, with this entire mm-hmm. situation. Yeah, well, this this artist is like a Warner Records artist, but he's effectively kind of like a country rock artist. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's part of the reason why they didn't take him to country radio because they were kind of like not working him as a traditional country Mm -hmm, artist. mm -hmm. And he's not a traditional country artist The only thing traditionally country about him is the name Zach Bryan, which is like Zach Brown Band crossed with Luke Bryan. It's a a very familiar feeling country moniker. Um, well, yeah, so uh, exciting week on the charts. And uh, I, I also want to say, um, you know, it can't be a coincidence that Brian is a likely contender for Best New Artist at the Grammys. And that first round voting for the Grammys starts on October 13th. Yeah. Shortly after they're kind they're of like, fine, okay, we'll do country radio. Making a push <laughs> with him at country radio. I'm just saying... The timing does timing, make sense. Timing makes sense. Yes. Timing is everything. There are no coincidences. Hey, Katie, um, uh, I want to say before you uh, uh, fall into the Justin Timberlake black hole... Yes. Um, Katie texted me a picture on Saturday mm-hmm. evening, um, and it was just a picture of a carpet in front That was of, red. That was red. <laughs> um, and feet. And there were three little stickers on it um, because this is what happens on red carpets when you're assigned a red carpet position and you're interviewing people. They put a little sticker usually on the ground and it says the, na- the name of the outlet. Mm-hmm. And it, it said Billboard. I'm like, Katie's covering a red carpet? What's going on? I didn't it's been know a about minute. This. I don't even know the last time I did a red carpet. And then I'm like, I quickly Googled. I'm like, what's happening in Los Angeles? I went to Getty Images. <laughs> I searched Los Angeles, Hollywood. And then I'm like, oh, there's a Justin Timberlake event happening tonight. Oh my God. Yeah. So what so happened? They, they announced this event that Justin. Justin Timberlake would be performing at the um, Children's Hospital Los Angeles Gala. They announced it, I think, late August, early September. And immediately, Paul Grine, uh, who has been on the show with us before, our awards editor, he hit me up. He knows that I'm a Justin fan and was like, the information for how to apply for credentials is right here in the announcement. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, okay, this is, I got to just try. And it's not an event we always cover. They typically have very elite performers there. I know that Pharrell's performed there. Katy Perry's performed there. Like, and as uh, I spoke with the president of CHLA on the carpet, oh. and he said that those artists have generously given their time to do two or three songs. But this year, Justin Timberlake did 10 songs. 
wow. 10 songs at the event. And uh, Did anyone tell Justin's like, you know, you only have to do like three. <laughs> I mean, it, it was it was an amazing, amazing event to be at because everybody, all the celebrities involved had personal connections to this hospital and, and uh, you know, for better or for worse, like Jimmy Kimmel, I know, has been very public about his uh, son, Billy, having life-saving heart surgeries at CHLA. So he was on the carpet and we spoke with him. Oh, wow. Um, Matt LeBlanc from Friends was there who used to visit Children's Hospital um, while he was starring on the CBS show Man with a Plan. Um, uh, but Justin was actually asked by this actress named Nikki Deloche, who I was not familiar with previous to this carpet, but she actually was on the all-new Mickey Mouse Club with Justin. She oh. was one of the actresses, one of the teenagers on that show with Justin when they were kids. And so they have been friends since then, since the early 90s. And she is a uh, trustee on the board, uh, the foundation board for Children's Hospital. So that's how he got she involved. Called, she called up to her friend, Justin. It's like, hey, my old Mickey Mouse friend. She said Justin. she never asks favors of him. Never. And she's like, you know what? I'm just going to call because he knows how important it is to her. Her son, Bennett, had life-saving heart surgeries at CHLA as well. And so she just called him and said, would, would you consider doing this? And uh, he and Jessica showed up. Like he obviously, sh- beyond showed up, did 10 Jessica songs. Jessica Beale. His, Jessica his Beale, wife. his wife. Um, and then it turned out that, and I didn't know this, and actually I was standing next to the like Children's Hospital publicity guy, did not know this either, but Jessica Beale's brother, Justin, also named Justin, Justin Beale, his daughter, Zaya, had a life-saving heart surgery at CHLA. Wow. So it turned out that Justin actually had an even more personal connection because his niece um, was saved at the hospital. Wow. So it was just night. It was just a night of stories like that. It was so touching. And I'm a, yeah. I'm a mom, as you know, if you listen to the podcast. So just hearing, I mean, thankfully, every story that was told was a beautiful, heartwarming one because all of these people, their children's lives were saved right. by the care at Children's Hospital. So Justin did a very interesting set of songs. He only did like two or three of his own songs. The rest were all covers. He did um, The Way You Look Tonight and Smile. Like he did these standards and then he did these soul covers. He did an Al Green song. He did a Sam Cooke song. He did a Smokey Robinson song. Um, And it was like super fun as somebody who's seen Justin perform a lot to see these songs I've never heard him sing before. Wow. And then the total, like and Keith, I think, saw this on my Instagram, but the moment I thought I might just combust into flames was when he was doing Can't Stop the Feeling um, as his finale. Um, you know, I think that will be his finale forevermore. It's just the most, like, you know, fun, uplifting, dancey song. Mm-hmm. Um, he picked up a, a little girl who's a survivor of CHLA who had walked the carpet, dressed in this, like, formal gown with her whole family and met Justin and Jessica. He picked her up and was carrying her on stage. And then he started singing Bill Withers' Lovely Day, which is mine and my husband's wedding song. And I've never seen Justin perform it. And I was like, what is happening right now? So it was an amazing night. I loved every second of it. And uh, just I it warms my heart that Justin like went so above and beyond for such a cool cause. And then I got to be in that flipping room. Like, I can't even believe it, honestly. So, yeah, it was great. It's really good, great. It's a good reason to come out of red carpet coverage retirement. <laughs> exactly. I don't know when I'll be back on a red carpet again, but it was very fun. Well, now it's time. For our interview with Charlie Puth. Charlie joins the podcast to chat about his third album, Charlie, and how he, as he says, quote, went completely rogue 
end quote, to make the set, while also sharing the recording process with millions of viewers on social media. It felt like they were in the room with me, he says of those who have been avidly consuming minute details of the album's recording process. The set was led off by a pair of top 40 charting hit singles on the Billboard Hot 100, Light Switch, and Left and Right, featuring Jungkook of BTS. In our chat, we talk about how the album came together over the past few years, what the sonic mission with the set was, who is actually behind his social media posts, and you might be surprised by the answer, and some real honest talk from him about his upcoming tour. Also, somebody FaceTimes him during the interview. Oh, right. We got to just mention that. Look forward to that moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't. Uh, yeah. Well, you'll listen. <laughs> so take a listen to our chat with Charlie Puth. Welcome back to the Billboard Pop Shop podcast. Charlie Puth. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm waving to you virtually. Last time we did this, we were, I think a couple times ago, we would, we had done this in person, but then that little pandemic happened. Uh, so, but I'm, I'm happy to be speaking to you again. I always enjoy these. Oh, you're, you're so sweet to say that. And, and I, I was going to actually mention how the last time we talked on the podcast was in 2017, uh, when attention had come out and you kindly invited me to your then home studio Mm -hmm. uh, to show me how you made attention, played all the isolated parts and how you assembled the song together. And I was living sort of my geeky music fan dream, seeing all mm -hmm. that happen. And now in the past few years, you've shared that kind of vibe with people on social media in the making of your new album, Charlie. So it must feel incredible to have this new album out in the world for mm -hmm. everyone to listen to now. Well, Keith, it must feel incredible knowing that you inspired my way of uh, marketing. Uh, I, 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 I joked, but I kind of half joked because I think five years ago, nobody even knew that I produced music and uh, except of my, my very, very, uh, at the time, smaller fan base, the very people, the people who were very close to me. And it was a new thing for me to go on Billboard and other media outlets, I'll say, um, and talk about my production style. I didn't know that people would care about that and or slash wanted to hear um, about that. But that's kind of what started it all off. And uh, it's basically how this whole album came together was involving the energetic feelings of people that weren't in the room with me, but uh, were online and it, it felt like they were in the room with me. It feels like your social media has really kind of, and, and I, I don't want to get too sort of highfalutin, but it does feel like your identity has really become a lot more kind of firmly established with the public in a way where we can really get to know your personality that like, maybe like we got to know just through doing like interviews with you on the side, but like in terms of a wide sort of meaningful way, people really are getting to know the real, you know, Charlie. Um, so with that all in mind, are you doing all of your social media on your own? Are you the one editing all the videos? Or do you have like a whole team assembled behind you that we never see that kind of helps guide you? Because it's amazing, all the stuff that you do. Thank you. I um, For bigger stuff like music videos, I have uh, a team help me. Like with the Loser music video we just put out, I had, um, you see the credits at the end, it was a whole team that helped me put that video together. But when it comes to just this, it's me and 
this and maybe a ring light or some natural light. I think uh, um, it's it's important for it to come from me, just like it's important for the music to be produced by me uh, for my own project. Right now, I'm not opposed to working with other people on anything, whether it be videos or production, but I just find right now I might as well really show people who I am like you know who I am yeah and uh it's it's been a minute since your last album voice notes came out in 2018 so what was kind of your process to get from that album to this album four years later um a lot of self pivots and and uh correction um voice note i i that th- that album this album charlie wouldn't have happened without voice notes and voice notes was the i, I it was the first time i realized that i incapable of uh executive producing taking care of the music in my own right with the you know a couple of political uh, internal music industry boxes that I have to check, especially on the first album. That was definitely a little less present, but present on the second album. This third album, I went completely rogue. I was by myself when I made the album, but I involved the internet into the creation of it. So it felt like I was in a room with millions of people, which is a very outlandish and uh, avant-garde way to... Uh, release music uh, sharing the process with millions of people i used to freak out when my music would leak now i almost i'm the person who leaks (laughs) yeah you're the leaker yeah Yeah. you co-wrote every song on the album you produced each song on the album solely on your own um was there a which i don't i i'm just i'm saying that so that people kind of appreciate and understand you know how involved you are with the process it's called charlie for a reason exactly (laughs) exactly he he shot the photos himself he picked the font that you see on the cover i did actually but i had (laughs) i had help with that stuff it would be funny if you actually did create the font yourself and like you've now have your own font that you can do right I, i feel like i'd i would be absolutely exhausted if i did solely everything by myself i am as good as my team um, but saying all that was, and I don't want to say what I necessarily hear in the album, but I want to hear it from you. Was there a particular kind of like sonic vibe or mission that you were going for, um, with all the songs on the album as a whole together as a whole project? So the, the mission on this album, um, <laughs> it was a couple of things on a personal level. It was, I, I, I went through a lot of good and bad feelings and happy and sad feelings. And they, uh, during the years of 2020 to 2022, and it seemed like it was all happening at the same time. And when some, when, when you feel really happy about one thing, but sad about another thing that happened 15 minutes prior, it creates a weird Elton John is FaceTiming me. Feel free Are to you get serious? That. Please, please feel free <laughs> please to loop him in. That. Please oh, take he, it. He, right. He he gets bashful when that happens. <laughs> I'm 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 talking to you guys right now, but I'll I'll give him a call back. Maybe he'll call back. Um, so we maybe still Elton will story. call back. Right? Maybe Elton will call back. The um he actually inspired the um the the goals for this album. Um, but I, I took note of what I was going through and it was a bunch of happy and sad feelings happening at the same time. 
And I, uh, I, I thought to myself, what does happy and sad sound like? I know what it feels like. I know what it looks like. But what does a happy and sad song sound like? Uh, what are those feelings representative of in sound? And you take a song like That's Hilarious, which is track one on the album, and it has a really beautiful, pretty roads, which is this roads right over here with the blue Ooh. top which is actually visually pretty. And then you combine it with a really ugly, distorted, gross bass and a really uh, well-fitting hi-hat, a very gentle sounding hi-hat placed on top of that Rhodes, but a snare that has nothing to do. You'd never use this snare. You, it's a, it's, it's a scenario here in like a, an aggressive dance hall. And you just, it, it's, it's ugly and pretty at the same time. And I did that 12 times on this album. Um, so that's where, that's the approach that I took sonically and, uh, it, where voice notes was super derivative of music of the late eighties going into the nineties, that really important turning point johnny hates jazz uh uh lisa stansfield going into the 90s it was I, I was listening to a lot of artists i didn't listen to any artists when i was making this record i just took note of my favorite songs that i grew up with like all the small things by blank 182 hit me baby one more time and instead of copying those songs i was i, I tried to replicate I, I took note of the feeling of when i was nine years old hearing those songs for the first time what did i feel like when i was playing tony hawk pro skater and that playing on the cd player in the background and how do i make a song that gives a similar feeling to a 10 year old 15 year old whoever year old kid whoever in the year 2022 if that makes sense makes sense, sense to me yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe there's a way you can eloquently write that a bit better without my uh, my stutters and, and whatnot. Well, well, I'll remind you it's a podcast, so it's just audio. Um, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, and uh, in a track by track breakdown you did, you also talked about how smells like me. You were thinking of like uh, 2000s reality shows like The Hills. Um, yeah. And then you also mentioned a part that um, sort of reminded you of The Little Mermaid. And I'm wondering, uh, listening back, I'm wondering which part you're talking about for that song. So in the beginning, uh, written by Alan Menken for mm -hmm. Disney's Little Mermaid, um, <laughs> those are four notes at the very beginning of a B-flat pentatonic scale and a C pentatonic, which is the most pleasing scale to the human ear, which is why people love that song. It's literally scientifically proven that that is one of the most pleasing scales for um, a human to listen to. And again, go, so track five, Smells Like Me, going through what it's lyrically about, very happy and sad feelings happening in conjunction at the very same instance in my lifetime. And while I'm writing it, I'm thinking, okay, I have to make the ugly sound. What's the ugly sound? The ugly sound ended up me being, uh, me, sorry, me uh, singing into the microphone, just random nothings like, ah, I literally just screamed kind of mid to light into the microphone, distorted the hell out of it with this plugin from Sound Toys called Decapitator and auto-tune the shit out of it and it became this kind of robotic yell in a way this really ugly like not pleasing to hear robotic yell so i took a little bit of the uh in the eq kind of took 16k down so it wouldn't be so harsh um and then i had my ugly sound now it's time to find the good sound and i guess 
I was listening to The Little Mermaid, and at the very beginning, I took those same notes, which I can because it's four notes, and it's out of a pentatonic scale, which everybody uses. Uh, and I know Alan Menken, so it's not going to be an issue. <laughs> but uh, the uh, F sharp, G sharp, A sharp, and C sharp, that repeats throughout the entire song. So that's the pretty and the beautiful part, representative of the beautiful and the ugly that was happening in my life. So it's reachy, but it's uh, it, it's true to form. That's how I made all of these songs, ugly and good, playing at the same time, layered on top of each other. Love it. And another lovely and good song that you have is with Jungkook from BTS called Left and Right. Um, how, first of all, like when you were making Left and Right, was it always going to be with Jungkook or did you always see it as a duet? And also, is there anything else that you guys recorded together when you got to, like when you made this song? Right. It, it's so, to answer the first part of your question, it was originally only me. Um, but I was listening to it and I just felt like it called for having another person's perspective on a very been there, done that kind of song. Everyone writes about not being able to get someone out of their head. I just took it the next step further. Of what sentence can I create that sounds different? You like I so I I took I, I sang the song from the perspective of literally and actually being inside of my brain and like if i like imagine i put a concert on in the in my brain there was like a mini me and i was inside my brain gross and i'm performing for a mini brain audience and i'm pointing to the upper right hand corner of my brain i'm saying you this person takes up this corner of my mind and this person takes up this corner of my mind so we got the weird fucking part down that was done but i thought it needed a on the second verse what if i I, yeah, I could feature an American artist, but what if I featured an artist that maybe doesn't even speak English and uh, uh, and can pull it off in a way and emote the same thing that we all feel like he doesn't speak a lick of English. I mean, he speaks a couple of words, but we're he's singing about topics that are universally felt. And I just thought the perspective coming from an international massive artist like him was uh, a really, really special thing. Just knowing that we all go through the same thing and uh it, it, we all experience the same feelings in life and i'm playing the song in my head back i i, I love that that fat foul snare it's just <laughs> so out of place but so delightfully in place and did you do any more with our friend john cook while you guys um were working together no that was he sent that vocal it was perfect all i did was i had a flight from new york i flew back a day early i dropped it in and fit perfectly in the song your video for Loser uh, just came out. Um, yeah. It's very kind of like Western Wild West themed where you're playing a dual role. And I think Katie and I, Katie, Katie and I were figuring out, we're pretty sure we're you're also slacking. the narrator. Is he narrating this? He's too? narrating this, right? That's you. Yeah, I, I, that, that is me, me doing the, uh, what well, I don't even know what I said. Maybe I blacked out during that recording session, but you put a little voice on like this and you sound ridiculous. Oh, oh. I was trying to like place who it was like, what actor is that or whatever. And then when you said at the end, you actually said like, um, you said your own name and I'm like, Oh my God, it actually is Charlie. <laughs> it's, it, it's ridiculous and exaggerated. Um, that, uh, I very inspired by, um, the narrator of SpongeBob, obviously SpongeBob SquarePants, I think is the most impressive television show next to the Simpsons and family guy. Um, but 
uh, I wanted to just make a video where then I, I was told that I should never make a video like that, where <laughs> Lace, I, because I have to be the cool artist. I got to make a video where I'm singing to a girl like that's so the song's called Loser. So you just got to um, lean in. <laughs> I just got to lean in. I, I, I that video is very reminiscent, uh, inspired by movies like Airplane and Leslie Nelson. Like I, I, I Leslie Nelson, he's no longer living, but he was one of my favorite uh uh, actors just the delivery of how he was able to make things look so nonchalant but just deliver such a powerful comedic message uh where like the opposite of chris farley uh also not with us anymore but just just as brilliant was able to kind of in the opposite and be more in your face with comedy uh i love the nonchalant delivery of leslie nelson and i think that was the main inspiration for this video. Truly, the video makes no sense at all. I just wanted to make it. Yeah, I I, I was having a hard time figuring out. I'm like, I'm not sure what the story is here, but I'm kind of rolling with it. There is no story. I don't preface anything like as to why the two are dueling or battling the song. It makes zero sense. I think uh, I, I, I said, but you know what? Several famous directors have reached out to my creative director and said, I didn't know Charlie acted. So maybe I did a good job. There you go. Maybe, maybe <laughs> you do have some sort of, uh, maybe there's a, like an acting career in a films. Western is yeah, in your Western. <laughs> maybe so. Um, and finally, you have a one night only tour starting later this month and running through December. And then you've teased another tour for 2023 as well. So what, what have you been prepping for these shows? What can we expect from them? I, I I put this tour together with my team kind of not knowing where I stood as uh, I'll say what no artist will ever say. I did not know where I stood as a touring artist. I we we got through a, a worldwide pandemic. I thought at one point my career as a touring artist was over. Um, I had no idea. It, it had been like a couple of years since I had something on Billboard. Like, where did I stand as a touring artist? So my agency my management label all came together we were like okay let's put this small tour on and see what it does sold out immediately like in europe everywhere and i'm like okay great but i took i'm taking it as an opportunity to realize that i'm not really going to be able to play these small rooms anymore and it's a really i'm fortunate enough to say that but one of the best things about that pl playing these small rooms is that you can connect uh to your fans like i uh, connect to my fans on TikTok. So I'm really looking forward to the intimate small rooms and uh, starting it off with my, in my hometown in Red Bank. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Charlie. We appreciate your time and congratulations on the new album and tour and everything. So good luck. Thank you very much. And very nice to speak to you guys again. again to charlie for making the time to talk with us and to nope. to reject an elton john facetime call to continue our interview honestly if elton john were facetiming me i would hang up on whoever i was talking to and just you know talk to elton john yeah so I, I mean i would have liked it more if he had answered it and said hey elton i'm doing a podcast right now with billboard you love billboard obviously that would have been amazing but also i would have understood if he put us on mute and turned off his camera and just talked to elton john and then maybe came back in a few minutes the fact that charlie was kind <laughs> enough to make the time for us uh, he's a pro was very sweet and now it's time for the chart stat of the week ago, Eminem's Lose Yourself debuted on the Billboard Hot 100 chart on its way to becoming his first number one. 
The track opened at number 52 on the list dated October 5th, 2002, and began a 12-week run at number 1 on the November 9th chart. The track, written and recorded for Eminem's semi-autobiographical film 8 Mile, would later win the Academy Award for Best Original Song and a pair of Grammy Awards for Best Rap Song and Best Male Rap Solo Performance. Eminem has topped the Hot 100 four more times since Lose Yourself, with Crack a Bottle with Dr. Dre and 50 Cent, Not Afraid, and a pair of songs featuring Rihanna, Love the Way You Lie, and The Monster. Earlier this year, Lose Yourself returned to the Hot 100 for the first time since 2003, after Eminem performed the track during the Super Bowl halftime show. The song re-entered the list at number 40. So there you have it. This week, 20 years ago, Eminem's Lose Yourself debuted on the Hot 100 on its way to number one. You better lose yourself in the music the moment you own it. You better never let it go. You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. One of Katie's favorite songs, I believe. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> even though we have no time for this because we had a pack show with Justin and Charlie uh-huh. and everything, I'm going to tell a quick story. Okay. When I was at Michigan State University, our college newspaper, The State News, got a heads up that Eminem was going to be on campus for like a surprise. And we we were very skeptical of this because while we are in the state of Michigan, Michigan State is in East Lansing, a solid, you know, hour 15 from where Eminem grew up. It didn't feel like it felt like he would pop up in Detroit, not in right. There's East no Lansing. connection for him there. But uh, MTV used to have a show where they would like surprise people with a quick performance. And so what they did was there was a screening of eight mile the day it came out Friday, the day eight mile was released. I feel like I saw this on MTV. Yeah. Well, it was at Michigan state university while I was a student there. <gasps> so after the screening, the screen goes up in the yeah. auditorium and Eminem is there and performed a concert to everyone. I mean, everyone rushed the stage. It was crazy. Were you in the room? I was not in the room. <laughs> my my colleague, um, he'll be so excited to get his name on the podcast, Tony, my colleague Tony Planis Hi, was, Tony. Um, uh, was covered it for us. And if we hadn't had the heads up, we never would have like made sure to have like a body in the room to cover it. Um just thinking it was a normal campus screening of a movie like we did all the time. So, uh, yeah. But then the whole thing was, uh, you know, immortalized on on the uh, MTV show. Oh, you were covering it. You were, say, covering it because you were working for the college paper? The college paper, the state news. Got it. Yes. I was like, my colleague. I'm like, what? Why weren't you just yeah. in the room well, my because friend, you're a fan? My still to this day friend, uh, who actually is the reason Dan and I are together because he uh, was our mutual friend at Michigan State, et cetera. So Tony's getting all sorts of shout outs today. Wow. Um, okay. Well, that was a great story. Um, what song should we go out on? Oh, man. Well. Um, a Justin Timberlake song? Oh, yeah. Let's do a Justin Timberlake song. I was really excited that of the very few of his own songs he did, he did Senorita, which is one of my favorite to see live. I know. It's wild. Like, so we did like, Senorita like, and, and Can't Senorita, Stop the Feeling. Senorita, Suit and Tie, Can't Stop the Feeling. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So no sexy back for the children's no, hospital. <laughs> I mean, I guess that one makes <laughs> sense. But uh, but I think we should go out and say Rita. Okay, we'll do that. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Hasn't it been found? Mama, listen.
our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.